Amen. It is good to be with you all today. My name is Jeff Watts, and uh, I am the student minister here. Uh, Pastor Ridge and his family are they're out of town uh, vacationing, so I was excited to have the chance to, uh, to proclaim God's word today. Uh, we're continuing on with uh, the series we've been in, Orders Concerning the Church. So if you want to flip to 1 Timothy. Some of you all know. Uh, I have a strong, a rich history. I was formed in the kitchen of a Chick-fil-A my senior year of high school, okay? And uh, that's true, that's me. Um, goodness, okay. Uh, Chick-fil-A, those of you all know, uh, with the most humility, prides itself on being not a fast food restaurant, but a quick service restaurant. If you've been there, you know that can be true. You also know it can be extremely chaotic and crazy, and I remember uh, my senior year working there, eventually I got moved from the front counter dining room area to the kitchen. And if you worked in the kitchen, you would also be suspicious of that baby-faced man. <laughs> uh, no, I got moved to the kitchen, and I think the, the kitchen workers, they had some questions at first, uh, because the kitchen is where fast happens. Okay, for food to be made quickly, the kitchen has to be run well. And so uh, eventually I got a hang of it, and they enjoyed working with me, and I enjoyed working with them. And I remember a particular Saturday, uh, the manager set a, a challenge for us. They wanted 120 cars served in the drive through line from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock. Okay, if you're good at math, you know that's a lot. Okay, that's a lot of cars. Uh, that's every 30 seconds, a meal or an order going out. And they have these screens in the kitchen. Um, they're green when they're good, they're yellow when you need to hustle up, and when they're red, somebody's getting yelled at. Not the, per- not the customer. No, but uh, it's okay. So red was bad. So I remember uh, Saturday lunch rush, 120 cars. We had to be excellent. I know that sounds silly to say because it's fried chicken, uh, but to accomplish that goal, we had to be excellent. Part of serving well, if it's in the church, Okay, if it's in your job, if it's in your home, is knowing your role. Okay, what am I supposed to do? It's knowing your way. How am I supposed to do this? And it's knowing your when. Okay, what's the proper moment for me to do my job? So this Saturday, I was working, I was helping with French fries, and I was also stalking the sandwich making area. Okay, we had a sandwich making Queen, okay, her name was Matilde, and she could just, she made sandwiches so precisely, so quickly. And part of that was she didn't need to go to the back to look for bread or produce or cheese. She just needed everything she needed right there. If I had a spare second, I was toasting buns, so she had a a canvas, okay, for the artwork that is Chick-fil-A, okay? so the Saturday lunch rush comes. It's crazy. It's chaotic. There's flour flying. There might be choice words flying. Okay, it's, it's intense. We did it, though. We met the goal, 120 cars in an hour. Um, we were super proud of ourselves. People were proud of us. And, um, but I remember I was, like, caked in all sorts of kitchen mess. I would go home, and I would shower, and I'd still smell like chicken, which gets old, okay? Um, but the idea here was that for that kitchen to run well, we knew our role, Okay, we knew our way and we knew our win. Later on, I found out that Matilde's name meant strength for battle. And it was clear that was true, okay? Uh, There was strength for battle in that kitchen. No, but to be a good servant, you gotta know what you're doing. You gotta know how to do it. 
and you got to know when to do it. We find um, in our text today, as we continue this series, last week um, Ridge spoke on the pastor's role for a church, and one of the things he mentioned that stood out to me was the pastor's role to equip the saints. Okay, not to show off for the saints, um, but to equip, to equip the church to accomplish what it's supposed to do. And so today, I found a pocket that we weren't going to have time to go over in First Timothy, and I said, you know what? This looks like equipping the saints. So today is what we're going to talk about. Um, First Timothy chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. Again, that's First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And if I can, I'm going to ask you guys, um, either in body or in spirit, would you stand with me today while we read the scripture together? First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Paul writes this. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, and the teaching of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer." Now to Timothy, verse 6, if you point these things out to brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. But have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason we labor on and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Father God, as we um, sit with this passage today, I pray that you would speak to each of us. I pray that you would make our hearts and our minds attentive, and um, Lord, that you would equip your church to accomplish your will for it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys may be seated. So a little context here for the book of 1 Timothy. It's one of our three, what we call the pastoral epistles. Okay? 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. All right? These are letters written from Paul to Timothy or to Titus, um, to their namesake, um, equipping them, encouraging them, hey, here's your role. Here's some things maybe you need to be reminded of in your church. He knows them well enough to know of some present challenges and context, uh, what's going on. But also he knows them and he knows their office. He knows what they should be doing. So Paul's writing to Timothy to remind him of his role and his purpose amidst this congregation. You see, like us, Timothy needed to be reminded of his role. Sometimes we get discouraged, or maybe we get distracted, or maybe we just have never been taught. But we need to be reminded, we need to be shown our role. 
And then again after that, the congregation needed to be reminded of what was true. So there's kind of two things happening in this text. Paul's reminding Timothy of his role, and he's reminding the congregation and kind of giving Timothy, hey, um, these myths, this hypocrisy, um, this is not a proper rendering of God's word. They're reminded of their role and of truth. And verse 1 and 2 um, says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. It seems like Paul thinks these are the later times. It's happening. The Spirit said it was going to happen. Timothy, look around. It's happening. I think we could say that for us today too. Some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of the demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They're unable to hear truth anymore because they're seared, they're calloused. And today, just like back then, we need reminders. There are probably a million different sermons you could pull up on your podcast and listen to this week. Um, and I bet a lot of them are really good. And I bet there's some that aren't. Right? We have to know, we have to be reminded of, of our role, but also of what truth is. And for Timothy, as the, as the pastor of this congregation, okay, um, for us as ministers of Jesus Christ, we have to know truth so that we can help equip people in truth. Right? We have to know truth so that when a lie comes along, we can call it out for what it is. Now, this happens in our life uh, inside and outside the faith. All right, what I mean by that is that there are Christians, there are people um, within the congregation that are going to be need, they're going to need correction, they're going to need reminders. And then there are people outside of the congregation who just don't know because they don't know God, right? So how we correct, how we remind, um, it might look different in those two situations. And I think it's important that we remember that. Look with me again to verse 6, Paul's command to Timothy. Okay, in light of this false doctrine that's being peddled, in light of people falling away from the faith, here's what Timothy is to do. Verse 6 If you point out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy to point out these silly myths. That's ridiculous. Call it out for him. He tells him to point out these faulty teachings and these failed, these incomplete renderings of God's word. It's interesting to me, though, that word, um, point out, isn't the strongest verb that could have been used there. He didn't say, bring your sledgehammer and annihilate people when they're wrong, show them who's boss. No, you know what you do? Consistently and every single time, you point out. Okay, imagine, imagine with me. I know some of us here ride horses and some of us have seen people ride horses, okay? Um, <clears throat> when you're riding a horse that knows what they're doing, you don't have to yank around on the reins, okay? If you want to go left or right, you're not whipping them side to side. No, a, a, a gentle correction, okay? Sometimes even just on the side of the neck is enough to tell them. Sometimes just a little pressure, from one leg or the other tells them which way to move. That's the picture I have in mind here of, of Paul telling Timothy, hey, you don't have to be a jerk about it. Okay, you don't have to like 
wear a sleeveless shirt to show people you get to decide. No, it's not an idea of like power or even masculinity or intensity. It's an idea of consistency. Gentle consistency over time. Anyone in here who's raised a kid or is raising a kid, you can't just blow up on them once about one thing and then achieve success in that behavior as it goes on. No, part of what's so maddening about raising kids, right, is that we did this yesterday. We did it this morning. We did it on the way here, and I'm having to do it again. I'm having to point out again, hey, I told you not to grab that. We talked about this over and over and over again to equip the saints, okay, and to be obedient to God's word, to be a good servant of Jesus Christ requires consistency. Not just a one-time powerful decision. Not a one-time explosion on somebody, but consistent obedience day after day. Paul tells Timothy, hey, servant of Christ, this is your role to be both gracious not dismissive, gracious and steady. I think that's what a lot of our leaders today sometimes are lacking, is one of those two. Either they're on you about everything all the time, there's no grace, (laughs) or they're too dismissive and they don't want to come down too hard on people and so they just let whatever happens, happens. But Paul tells Timothy, No, to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, you have to point these things out. And guess what? You're going to have to keep pointing these things out. So as we get to this point, the question then is, is how can we know our role? Okay, how are we supposed to know our role if we do not know our master? Right? If I'm supposed to lead people like Jesus would lead people, but I don't know Christ well, I'm not going to achieve success in that. So Paul tells Timothy um, to be nourished by these truths. Okay, the way you do this, Timothy, is by being sustained by the right thing. You're not going to find it out there. Okay, it's not just lived experience or wisdom. Um, No, you're going to be nourished on this sound pattern of teaching. Okay, you're going to be nourished on God's word. And in the same way that you gently but consistently correct and point in the right direction... The Holy Spirit's walking with you and is gently correcting and pointing you in the right direction. We gotta be nourished on God's word because if we don't, we can't lead, we can't serve others well. Okay, how can we know our role if we don't know our master? And how can we know what's good and what is true if we don't let him teach us? I don't get to decide. No, I need that reminder, I need that correction in my own life. You see, a good and faithful servant cannot simply know the requirements or even the function of their role. It's not just head knowledge. No, there's an element of practice, too. Okay, uh, my wife Hannah, she's a nurse, and I heard one of her nurse friends once say the, the pattern in the hospital is you see one, like a procedure, I'm guessing, I don't know. Uh, you see one, you do one, and you teach one. Right? In theory... Babyface Jeff could have been put in the kitchen, but okay, I get it. Chicken, oil, sandwich. Okay, great. But if I don't actually know, if I haven't done it, then the end result isn't going to be what it needs to be. And so there's this idea that, hey, we have to know our role, but also we have to know our way. We got to know how we're doing it. This is uh, what, in my mind, um, if you ever took a class in college that had a lab portion, 
okay? Um, you lecture, you saw slides, and you took notes, and you said, this is what an animal looks like, okay? And then lab, they cut one open and say, this is what the inside of an animal looks like. Touch it. <laughs> no, it's where the lab happens. It's hands-on application and experience. We need to be reminded of our role, but also of our way, of our method, of our approach. See, guys, when, when following the Lord, the ends do not always justify the means. All right, we have truth on our side, but that does not mean we have a license to kill. You see, anyone um, who's ever fought with a loved one, a spouse or a kid or a parent or, or maybe a close friend, um, and maybe if you're like me, there's been times in your life where really sharp words and phrases would just sneak out. And you're like, ooh, that was, that was pretty good, pretty rude, but I said it. Um, have you ever won an argument and for some reason you didn't feel like you won anything? That's the idea here. <laughs> okay, just because uh, we're following the Lord, the ends do not always justify the means. You can win and not really win. You can be right and still pay the price. No, there's some nuance here to what we're doing. So we know our role and we're learning our method. And so if that's true with people in my own home, then how much more true is it with those who live houses away, with those who believe differently than I do, with those who vote differently than I do, with those who I disagree with strongly? I think we're given a metric here for not being dismissive, okay, but also not um, just destroying others. There's this tension of both um, truth and love. And I think today, um, in our life where we're always behind a screen, okay, or um, some of us, we leave our office job, and then we drive home in our own, like, compact car, and then we go, we don't even step outside, we just pull into the garage, and then we close the door, and we're completely shut off from other people if we want to be. And that only makes it easier to see them as arguments to be won, instead of people to be loved, instead of people that Jesus died for. Right? Instead of the harvest that we're told about in Matthew, where um, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. See, I think we have too much separation sometimes between us and these people, and it makes it like, well, they believe that, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> or they've already made their choice, I've made mine. So here's the thing, maybe we are right. Maybe you're right in that argument or that debate. But how much social capital are you willing to lose along the way? Once again, this is not a message of compromising truth, okay, or affirming things that Scripture does not affirm. This is about our method. This is about our approach as Christians. Maybe you're proud of yourself because um, you typed something out and you stood for truth. But what if, now hear me out, okay, what if all the person heard was a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal? What if there wasn't any love and that messed up their ability to hear? Now, some of y'all know um, I have an eclectic taste in music, okay? 
Um, sometimes for the youth, I'll play songs, and they're like, Jeff, what is this? Okay. Not because they want to listen to it, but because they want to make fun of me. Uh, no, when I was in high school, I started listening to like heavy music or whatever, okay? <clears throat> it's loud, it's in your face, it's aggressive, just like 14-year-old boys are, okay? It's just a lot, okay? And I remember I had my little, uh, you know, I have an iPad Nano, the old ones that you scrolled around on, and it made the really satisfying sound. See, I had those before some of these youth were even born. Um, I remember riding around with my dad in our Suburban, and I would plug it in, and I knew he wasn't going to listen to a full song, and so I was like, all right, if I can play 10 seconds of something ridiculous for Randy, what song am I going to pick? And I would pick one, and I would play it, and somebody would be screaming, and the guitar would be also screaming, and drums screaming. Okay, all through the speakers, I'd try turning it up, and maybe five seconds in, my dad would turn it down, he'd be like, oh, Jeff. That's not even music. I know some of y'all have heard that before. That's not even music. And I disagree, okay? Uh, I still disagree, but I understood where he's coming from. All right? Later on, I would learn how to play guitar. And of course, I wanted to make sounds that sounded like the sounds that the bands I liked made. And I learned about electric guitars and how by themselves, they just sound normal. And I learned about drive and distortion, and reverb, and how you can manipulate the signal so that it doesn't just sound like a plain electric guitar, it sounds like somebody's releasing a demon, okay? Uh, It's screaming at you. And the reason I tell you this is because sometimes I think our words can be like that electric guitar. Sometimes um, my words can be pushed through a filter where if my life does not reflect the love of the Lord, and my actions don't reflect the love of the Lord, and my relationship with this person looks nothing how the Lord would love them, but I try to push the message of of truth through it, it's just like gargled distortion, right? In the same way that you can use pedals and amps to affect the signal or the tone of a guitar, so can your actions and your behavior distort the words that come through your lips, the message that you're sending. And it's not that you didn't play the right notes properly. It's that there was so much added to it after that the person on the receiving end struggled to receive it for what it really was. Paul writes in in Corinthians that um, you can have all these tremendous things, and if you don't have love, what is it? It's indiscernible. It's indiscernible. All right? It's not beneficial. In the same way, beautiful notes and beautiful words can become horrible sounds, unrecognizable sounds. And it's interesting to me because we, we talk about the gospel a lot, as we should. Um, the gospel, liter- translated literally, means the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there's something something wrong. All right, I'm not saying it's always our fault, but I think it's worth reflecting whenever I share the good news of Jesus Christ and it doesn't sound like good news to people. Because Paul tells us here, hey, it's really good news. It's worth pointing out and it's worth sharing. And so what if there's something in my life going on 
What if there's a choice that I've made or a habitual sin or something I'm not letting go of or a preference where when I pass the good news of Jesus through my mouth into the world, people don't hear it as good news? You know, it sounds risky. It sounds risky, so why even try? Verse 10, that's why. Verse 10 tells us, Paul says, for this reason, we labor on and we strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people, especially to those who believe. You see, Timothy's role was to point out these discrepancies, to point out these untruths. And the way he was to do it was with consistency and with love. Timothy's job wasn't ever to save those people. Timothy's job was not to, he's not the saving agent in that relationship. No, Jesus is. God is. The reason we push on is because we've put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. That takes a lot of pressure off. That's why knowing our role matters, because I don't have to do it all. I just have to do what he's put before me. Your role is to point out. Your method is to do this in a reminding and a consistent fashion. Maybe even to produce a healthy and a Christ-like pattern or mold for others to follow. In this, in this portion, Paul reminds Timothy of a healthy, of a sound pattern of teaching. Hey, it's gotten you this far, it's reliable. Now, you pick up and you carry the same rhythm and you teach others how to keep time. You teach others, hey, this is what following the Lord looks like. The uh, the Scottish theologian William Barclay once wrote that it's always true that men can be led when they refuse to be driven. And there might be times for both. But I think sometimes we just make a, a fire hotter by adding our own fire to it. And what if our job isn't to, to drive somebody to the Lord? What if it's to lead them, right? What if it's not to, to drive these situations? What if it's to surrender some control and just to, to do our part to keep rhythm? So it's crucial to know our role and our way. But good servants of Jesus Christ also know their win. They know their moment. In a Chick-fil-A kitchen, there's a lot of things that need to be done consistently, but there are bad times to do it. You shouldn't wait till you're out of bread to go get more bread, okay? Or when someone's trying to clean the fryers to do, there's a moment that is most beneficial for everyone involved. There's a moment um, that is most opportune and most successful. We're gonna flip to Colossians chapter four. Or in another one of Paul's letters, he talks about this. Knowing their role, knowing their way, and knowing their win. Colossians 4, verses 3 through 6. Paul writes, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message, to speak the mystery of the Messiah. 
for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of your time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. There's an idea here that's fascinating to me. And it's in um, verse 5, where he says to act, widely, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of time. Okay, Christianity is not an inside-outside faith in the sense that, that we exclude people. But it's an inside-outside faith in the sense that there are people who know Jesus. Right? There are those who are in Christ, and there are those who are not. So Paul's giving us a tool here. He's giving us a, a metric to look and see, hey, um, believer, non-believer. All right, and you kind of follow that line, how do I respond to this situation? What do I do when a believer's living in sin versus when a non-believer's living in sin? We have the same goal for both, but there might be different steps to get there. Paul tells him to act wisely towards outsiders to make the most of the time. Okay, nerd out with me for a second here, okay? Um, in Greek, there's a couple different words for time. And the one we see here is kairos. So this is not the time that I would say, hey, JP, do you want to go get lunch Tuesday at noon? It's not an appointment, right? It's more of a vibe, okay? It's more of a, hey, you got to be ready for it, okay? It's a season. It's an opportune moment. It's when things are ready, and we don't always know when that's going to be. Okay, the farmer knows that harvest is coming. And it'll probably be around the same time each year. Um, but every year is going to be a little bit different. And you just know. When the season's ready, you know. I mean, have you ever had the right word for somebody, but it was the wrong time? It's wasted words. Or maybe the moment was right but you had the wrong words and that was a wasted moment. No, but scripture says that when the right word comes at the right time, it's symphonic, right? It's beautiful, it's harmonies. It is, as Proverbs says, silver apples in gold settings. It's ornate, the right word at the right time. And no doubt opportunities are gonna come to encourage, to correct, and to remind. Will you be ready for that moment? Will I be ready for that moment? I mean, have you ever tried to make guacamole with avocados that just were not ripe? And you're like, it's all I got, so I'm going to give it a go. And you try to peel it, and it's like trying to peel a rock, okay? And then you try to cut it up, and it's like trying to cut a stone. And you're like, all right, well, maybe if I put a little like lemon juice or some sour cream, and I season it up. I tried this a while back, and I, I literally pulled out our mortar and pestle, like rock on rock and avocados were like shooting out the side because they would rather slip away before they would crush they just weren't ready it was not those avocados day for guacamole it wasn't their kairos okay but if you ever make guacamole with avocados that are just perfect as soon as you cut into it you know it as soon as you pop that pit out you're like oh yeah this is ready that's the idea here Paul's saying hey um, truth doesn't need to be a bludgeon Okay, it can be a blade, it can be a scalpel, and people who use those things well know when to use them. All right, when you go to pick fruit that's ready, you don't have to rip off the branch, 
It's not going to damage the fruit. It's not going to damage the plant. It just, it pops off. It's ready. That's the idea here. So with those inside the faith, we are to point out and point out and point out, hey, I don't think what you're doing is quite what the Lord would have you do. Is that wise? Have you thought about that? Consistently over time. With people outside the faith, I think there's something here to be said for for cultivation, for patience, for presence. Okay, when we foster that relationship of love and when we cultivate it with truth, the kairos of that relationship, I gotta have faith that it's gonna come. And it may not be right now, okay? But one day it's gonna be there, it's gonna be ready. That fruit is gonna be ready. After all, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He'll let you know. He'll let you know. Recently I heard one of our very own members um, share a testimony, uh, a personal story with us. Um, A few weeks ago, a team from our church went to Honduras and they came back and on a Wednesday night they shared with us um, the stories of the trip. And one of my favorite parts of the the night and the story wasn't even about something that happened on the trip. It really happened because of the trip. And so um, I asked Caroline Fawcett, it's her story. Um, She she gave us a a little rundown of it. So I'm going to read it for you guys. But I think it models this really well. And not that she's the only person that's done this or it's just the most recent example I've heard. When I was reading this and I was thinking about um, the moment, the season, the avocado that's ready to make guacamole... It was just a picture of the Lord working. So I'm going to share that with you guys today. She says, I have this friend named Katie, and she and I have been having faith conversations while at work. And before the trip, she asked Caroline if they could go through the Bible together. All right, that fruit's looking pretty ready. Before Honduras, Caroline writes that I was eager to share the gospel, but I wasn't very comfortable or confident with the method of the Evangel Cube. Some of y'all know what the Evangel Cube is. It's a, an awesome illustration that just helps you tell the story of the gospel. So after sharing in Honduras, she writes, and seeing God work there, I thought it would be great to share with Katie before we start studying scripture together. So they worked the night shift together, and she had this book um, that Caroline was wanting to borrow. So she came over to her house, and Caroline asked her friend, hey, can I show you what we did in Honduras? She says, I shared and tears filled her eyes. She had a few questions about God and the Holy Spirit gave me answers to through scripture that he put in my mind and then she and I prayed together for her to receive Christ. That deserves an amen. That's good. Now, after praying together, they're gonna go through the book of Matthew together. If that doesn't get you excited for what we're doing here, then I don't know what will. Now, as a, a, a person trying to follow the Lord obediently, trying to keep their eyes up, trying to be ready for that moment. Guys, it could be any one of our coworkers. It could be any one of our family members. We have to be ready for that moment. We have to know our role. We have to know our way, and we have to know our when.
Verse 6 of the, the passage in Timothy we read. We're almost done. Stick with me. He tells Timothy, if you point these things out to the brothers and the sisters, right? To the people within your congregation, the people of faith. If you point these things out, then you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. When you know your role, when you know your method and you know your moment, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. You'll be a good teammate to have in the trenches. You're not in the way. You're not back in the back when people need help. No, you're present, you're ready, you're in the kitchen, you're in the moment. Then you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. As we wrap up, here's what that means for us today. Here's what this means for us today. There's a metric and an expectation that we would strive to maintain the tension between truth and between love. And sometimes I think we get too, um, too one-sided, Okay, sometimes, sometimes love with, with no truth is too permissive. Sometimes truth with no love is, is too aggressive. But when those live together in harmony, you can cultivate relationships with people who may not even be Christians because love and patience and kindness. And then one day they're asking you to go through Matthew with them. That can happen. But not by your own doing. No, it's by the Spirit and His nourishing Word. It's by being sourced in the love of Christ, about being founded, okay, about being pointed in the right direction again and again by the Holy Spirit in your life, because I need that and you need that. It's about living a life, following Christ and letting Him lead you. And my thought here today is, would you leave here renewed, maybe in your passion, or maybe even in your optimism, or your understanding of your role and your method and your moment? Because if you're in Christ, there's a job to do. There's a job to do if you're in Christ. Now, when you follow the Lord, it's not vigilante anymore, okay? No, there's a way to do it. There's a job to do and there's a way to do it and there is a season. Okay, the season is constant but the harvest isn't. We gotta be ready for that moment. Perhaps you don't feel up to this task because you're not confident that you know your role. How do we know what to do? I have good news. The good news is that Jesus knows you that Jesus loves you and he will equip you for that role. He'll give you a pattern to follow. He'll give you on-the-job training as you follow him. Follow him closely and he will lead you. And maybe you've never done that. And today can be your day. Maybe you've never decided to actually walk with Jesus. Today can be your day. It can be your moment. Maybe you don't know Or maybe you do know your role, but you just don't know how to accomplish it. Okay, I get it. I'm at church. But you need clearer instructions. Paul tells Timothy and other Christians by proxy (laughs) to be nourished by the words of the Lord. 
when we don't know, that's what informs. Right, when we're uncertain, God's word is what fills in the gap. When you're in the moment and people are asking you deep faith questions, that's what the Holy Spirit brings to mind. Maybe you haven't been involved. Maybe, you, maybe you're, you're here, but you're not practicing. Maybe you only ever read your Bible when the pastor tells you to open it. You don't have to practice that this week. You don't have to stay stuck. You can begin. You can renew that today. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like me and you feel like, um, you feel guilty because of the opportunities that you know you've missed. That's the thing about a moment. We don't see them coming, but we know when we missed them. Maybe you feel guilty. And maybe you feel like that's just not your thing and, and the Lord's chosen other people to, to do his will. Don't let the enemy convince you that since you've come up short in the past that he has no place or no role for you now. Y'all hear me? Don't let the enemy convince you that because last night was a bad night, that today there's not forgiveness. That today there's not a job to be done. You know, when you mess up, you know what you do? You confess, you get up, and you move on. You don't have to stay stuck. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus tells his disciples this. He says that the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Would that be our prayer this morning? Would you guys pray with me? Lord, would you prepare and equip each of us to know our role, God, to know our way, our method, and to know our moment. Lord, we would be just walking in obedience with you.